0: Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked a brand new Honda? No! Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was going to happen! He so deserved it! He's a terrible driver! He is awful! I think it's a bunch of crap when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, huh Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we are on the book of James. A little throwback there. James is also technically called? Jacob. Ooh, you even creaked out. Dude, you get a piece of gum for that one. Oh. Don't get any more questions. I only got one left. But anyway, that's right. But let's go ahead and let's open and grab our context, man. We're cooking now. And uh, we're almost, if you can believe it, keep praying. Lord, Lord willing, start at 1527.9. 9 Uh, we might make it to the second acid test, dealing with temptation. But we're getting closer, maybe in a couple weeks we can do that, Lord willing. But uh, let's go ahead and read our context there in uh, James, Yacobos, and take a look at what we're going to study today. Verse 1, he says this, James, he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes, early Christians, scattered among the nations. Now, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, no doubt about it, That the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's good. Perseverance must finish its work, he says, so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. It's a gift from God. Now, first of all, if any of you guys lack wisdom, he should go to the world. Oh, wrong answer. He should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it's going to be given to you. He's not going to play cat and mouse with you. But when you ask, there's a caveat, you've got to believe. Trust God. Don't doubt. Because he who doubts, here's what you get for that is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, that man should not think he's going to receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, and here it is. You are unstable in some of your ways? All your ways. Don't do that. Horrible side effect. Here we go, verse 9. Now, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his what? High position. Focus on that. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. Now, at the onset, you might think, well, he's done talking about trials and the good thing of trials and how to consider pure joy in trials. But believe it or not, from verses 9 through 12, he's still going to talk about it. And what he's going to do, he's going to split us up into a dichotomy of two different people. But again, to grab the context of what's going on in our study, James is a book written, the first one in the New Testament, as far as we can tell. And the whole premise was he is providing an acid test. And you get that when you look at the timing and when you look at the purpose of this book, okay, it's the first uh, uh, book, and the church is finally being scattered, getting out in the world. The Satan's got an evil plan. His plan is he wants uh, for the witness of the world to be from false Christians, fake Christians, phony Christians, and that's not good. Okay, God wants a, a true representation of the gospel and who Jesus Christ is and what he's come to do and to give for the world, okay? So James puts out this acid test to filter between the, uh, the, the wheat uh, and the chaff and the sheep and the goats, if you will, and all that stuff. And uh, so uh, he pr- pr- puts out that first test, and that first test is trials. Believe it or not, how a person handles trials can very well indicate their spiritual condition. Okay, and what he saw, what we've been seeing is, listen, if you walk away from Jesus in your trials, and I mean walk away, I said I become an atheist, or I become you know a Mormon or something, somebody that's in a cult or something, whatever. Okay, uh, the scripture says you didn't have faith salvation and then lose it you never had in the first place first John 2 we how many times we say this that's just one passage the reason why they went out from us is because they never belonged to us if they had belonged to us they would have remained with us but they're going so they never belonged to us they were fake the whole time God used trials to expose what he saw okay and and trials will do that okay but we saw for the Christian because we go through trials don't we Well, what do we do? Well, he says, I'm going to give you a gift. Believe it or not, if you just do what I say to do, you're going to have a, as the Greek says, not just joy, not just a pure joy, you're going to have a constant joy, even if you, Christian, truly born again, find yourself in that situation. You just need to do what he says to do. And that's the context of this passage we've been dealing with. The first way he said to do that is, first of all, you look forward to the good in the trial. Remember all the 20-some reasons we looked at, God's doing good things. Second, you let the purpose, the good purpose, be finished in the trial. Three, let God give you his good wisdom in the trial. And last time we saw there's two things you don't do, okay? You do not question God's character in the trial, and you do not doubt his ability to give you what you need in the trial. Okay, and that's what we saw before, is the Bible's very clear. God is a good God. Remember that Greek word that we saw last time? He's haplos. Let's say that. Hop-loss. And that was that sidekick to Cassidy. Hop-loss to Cassidy? No, it was Hop-along. I know. He, maybe before your time, Bobby. But you'll get it eventually, maybe. Let's pray for Bobby right now. No. Uh, but Hop-loss, okay, have we saw there is that means God is a good God. He's a generous God. He's awesome, okay? He's not a horrible ogre. Okay, he's a good God. And the context there is when we ask for wisdom, he's hot boss. He's not going to pour shampoo in our face. He's not going to play cat and mouse with us. He's hot boss. He's going to pour it out generously more than you could even uh, uh, handle, okay? And since he's hot boss, that means you can go to him, Christian, for wisdom anytime you want, without fear, without hesitation, without question, because he loves you and he wants to give you his good wisdom. Why? Because he wants you to know what to do in your trial so that you can... Uh, maintain the joy why just for you no so you can be that positive witness for him do you get it god wants you to be that positive witness he doesn't want to leave you hanging high and dry he doesn't play games with you he wants you to know what to do you just got to come and ask him and you'll know what to do you'll experience the joy but you also get to keep being that commercial for him he said though the problem was don't doubt don't not trust God. What are you trying to say? He's a hot God. What, what, are, do you, are you serious? You're going to accuse him of being an ogre? Are you going to accuse him of playing cat and mouse with you? Are you, are, can you really think he can't do it? Or he's gonna, No, he says, don't do that. He says, if you do do that, because that is a choice, is it not? Trust God or not in our trials. He says, here's the fruit. You're going to be unstable in all your ways. You're going to vacillate back and forth. You're going to be tossed to and fro. You're going to be restless, messed up, and it's your fault, not God's. It's your lack of faith and trust in him. He says don't do that. Okay, once you be that good witness. I'm gonna give you more wisdom you can con- contain. Just come to me and ask for it. You'll know what to do. You get to keep that joy, be that great witness. That's what I want, okay? That's awesome news, isn't it? Now, I believe he, he pulls out the rug from a, a people. We can make it through all that and they'll say, oh yeah, but there's no way I can have joy in certain circumstances. And, and he pulls out the rug and that's what we're dealing with the next a few verses, nine through 12, okay? is he splits the world up, even the Christian world up, into two categories, okay? And what we're going to see is he's going to call out the poor and he's going to call out the rich, okay? The poor and the rich, because the temptation, you know, if you're poor, you, well, how's God expect me to be joyful constantly in this? I'm ex-, all right, and believe it or not, the rich have their own problems, okay? Oftentimes, the more money that people get, it creates more problems, and you don't get more rest, you get more headache. Okay, So again, he's going he's to say, even with these people, there's no excuse to not have that constant joy so you can be that constant good witness for me. Let's take a look at that text. Verse 9 says this, The, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Notice that. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position uh, because he's going to pass away like a wildflower. Okay, Here's what the Greek literally says. Listen to this. This is cool. Moreover, let the brother who is in lowly circumstances meaning poor and afflicted. That's what it is, poor and afflicted. Let him be glorying in his exalted position. What? Uh, namely, in the midst of the trials, which teach him patience. But the one who is wealthy, let him be glorying in his humiliation. Brought on by his trials, uh, the result being produced to the level of a man who is poor and afflicted. Because as the flower of the grass, uh, he shall come to an end. Again, we're seeing the dichotomy of two different people, rich and poor. And believe it or not, did you know that some Christians are pretty well off? And did you know that some Christians are very poor? Right? Scripture is very clear. Who is the one who gives wealth? God. God is the one who gives wealth to people, so some people he is wealthy. Now what we're going to see, and this is in, Lord willing, the next study, uh, I believe that oftentimes the reason why God will bless certain Christians in such fashion is because he is doing it so they can be, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, so they can be a channel of blessing to other people in Jesus' name to help meet the needs. That's why he's giving you that, not so you can build that 19th swimming pool, is to be a blessing to other people as well. And it's a great privilege, but we'll get to that later. But for the poor, I think it's pretty obvious that God says, listen, I'm in control, rich or poor. Don't get focused on that. What I want you to do in the midst of it so you can maintain your joy is you need to be thankful for what you do have. Here's a key word that society never wants us to be. Pay attention to every commercial. You think you're doing great. You've got an awesome life. You've got more than what you need. You're content. Turn on that TV. That first commercial pops up and what does it say? You're not content. No, you're not. I know you think you are, Bob, but what you need to be content is this new car or this new thing, right? That's what they're doing. They're trying to get you discontent. The Bible says don't do that. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Uh, Paul says elsewhere, he says some people who are seeking after riches, okay, have shipwrecked their faith. Don't do that. If God wants to do that for you, then if he does, Take care of your own needs, but be a blessing in His name to other people. That's why He's doing it. Okay, but don't get consumed with that. Don't get consumed. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In other words, God is saying, listen, Christian, He's going to provide for you what you need. Okay? Not necessarily what you want. But he'll provide for you what you need. So you don't need to get consumed with money, 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 money. I've got to have money. I've got to have money. Or I don't have money. Or I need more money. Or money, money, money. He says, don't do that. Okay? When we get consumed with money, I'm going to have this. I'm going to have this. Or I don't have that. I mean, either end of the spectrum, how's our joy? It's all messed up. And he says, for the one that you would think that would have an excuse for not being joyful, the poor Christian, he says, don't go there. Don't, don't do that. Okay, there's something else you need to do. Okay, the point is, each one of us are going to fall in one of these two categories that he brings out, the rich and the poor. Okay, but I think if we look at the, the facts, I think most of us here in the West, man, we're, we're not just rich, we're stinking rich. Okay, Synchiketh, if you want to sound Greekish. Okay, uh, let me give you a few of those facts, okay. Um, take out all the furniture in your home, except for one table and a couple of chairs. Uh, use a blanket and pads for beds. Uh, Take away all your clothing, except for your oldest dress or suit, shirt or blouse, and leave only one pair of shoes. Empty the pantry and the refrigerator, except for a small bag of flour, some sugar and salt, a few potatoes, some onions, and a dish of dried beans. Dismantle the bedroom, shut off the running water, remove all the electrical wiring in your house. Uh, In fact, take away the house itself, and move your whole family into a tool shed, uh, and place your tool shed in a shanty town. Uh, Cancel all subscriptions to newspapers, magazines, uh, book clubs, Uh, which is no great loss because none of you can read anyway. Uh, Leave only one radio for the whole shed town, shanty town. Uh, Move the nearest hospital or clinic 10 miles away and put a midwife in charge instead of a doctor. Uh, Throw away all your bank books, your stock certificates, your pension plans, your insurance policies, and leave the family a cash hoard of 10 bucks. Uh, Give the head of the family a few acres to cultivate on, which he can raise a few hundred dollars of cash crops of which one-third will go to the landlord and one-tenth to the moneylenders. Lop off 25 years or more of your life expectancy, and if you can do this, you're going to see how daily life right now is for one billion people on our planet. I'd say we're not doing too bad. How about you? All right? Let me give you one more. Hey, if you've got food in your fridge, clothes on your back, roof over your head, anybody today? In a place to sleep, you are richer than 75% of the world. Isn't that wild? Doesn't our society do a great job of getting us sucked in of not being content with what we have? Thinking we always have to have more. And then we shake a fist at God as if he's doing something wrong. It's like, excuse me, I told you, don't worry about your life. You you got a place to sleep? You got food in your gut? You got clothes on your back? What are you getting mad at me for? I just said, you seek first my kingdom, my righteousness. I'll make sure you got that. And we got that. What are we whining about? All right? He continues on. He says this, if you got money in the bank, your wallet or some spare change, you're among the top 8% of the world's wealthy. Just jingling change in your pocket. Woo, you got some serious cash. Right. If you woke up this morning with more health than illness, you're more blessed than a million people who will not survive this week alone. And if you've never experienced the danger of battle, the agony of imprisonment or torture, or the horrible pangs of starvation, you are more fortunate than 500 million people alive and suffering right now. I bring all that up because we'll sit here and go, even in uh, Christendom, if you will, the church, will act like, well, I'm not rich like you know, so-and-so. or you know, Excuse me, give me a break, especially here in the West. I think we could easily fall more into the rich category. Okay? But even again, this is the point, this is the context. James is drawn to the distinction between the poor Christians and the rich Christians, and the whole point is, listen, there's no excuse. I don't care how much you got or how much you don't have. You can still have constant joy, okay? And again, I think the context here is most of these Christians, uh, unlike I would say even us today, believe it or not, uh, they really do fall in this category of the poor. And this is the context. Remember, he's writing to the who? The 12 tribes scattered in the world. Well, that's why I wanted you to read the opening context again. As we saw before, that's speaking of the early church finally going out into the world. These are Christians. Now, if you understand also the history of this time, of what was going on, they weren't out there uh, having uh, uh, pension plans and 401Ks and doing all this stuff. These guys at this time were victims of persecution, they were being dispossessed from their homes, they were objects of racism and bigotry, hatred and persecution. Okay? These early Christians, I think by and large, uh, many that he wrote to, I wouldn't say all, but many of them were really poor, and I mean very poor. In fact, you get that from the Greek word that's translated their humble circumstances? okay it's actually tapenos in the Greek okay is uh, what's going on here and this is a cool word this is what not just hum, humble circumstances yeah that's okay but listen to what it really means it literally means not rising far from the ground a lowly depressed state okay so this person that he's talking about this one category okay is truly poor this person is not far from the ground not far from the bottom rung if you will, of society's standards economically. They're in a low, depressed state economically, okay? And again, uh, you you think about somebody like that, and you're going like, obviously we're doing better than that person, but come on, okay? If ever there was an excuse, you know, that you could have before God as to why you can have a bad attitude as a Christian, is if you find yourself topping us, right? I mean, this guy is lower than low, I mean, he's just scraping by. I mean, he's just hardly off the rung. He is in such a messed up economic state. There's no way this guy could have joy. And I think that's what James is telling here. Excuse me? Yes, you can. And that's his whole point. Remember, what's the context? He wants you to have that constant joy. No excuses, no matter what trial comes in your life. Even poverty, even riches, which can be a trial. Again, we'll get to that Lord going next week. He says, you can still be that positive witness. James says, listen, he is telling the one, listen, this is what's wild. He's telling the one who finds himself in these tapingos conditions, these lowly, depressed, hardly off the ground conditions. uh, You don't need to get depressed about it. You can maintain joy even in the midst of that condition if you just do what he says to do next. And what he says to do next in our circum, uh, 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 text here, is he says you just need to focus on your future. And your future is, listen, we've got eternal riches in Christ. That's what you focus on, not your us circumstance, okay? You focus on that. He says there, the brother in humble circumstances, that's your condition, that's your category. Oh no, I can never, no, he says here's what you do. You take pride in, in your high position. What? I mean, this isn't just a guy like, like we would, and we want to play the game and say we're so poor, when we're really not. This is the guy. And James says, no, here's your way out. Here's how you have joy. Take pride. Get, get excited you're in this condition. What? He, he says there, listen, in fact, in the Greek, listen, this is what's wild. It's actually a command. It's a command. What? You are commanded to do this. You should be so thrilled. Yeah, thank you, God, that I'm a toppy Christian, man. I'm all, I'm just, I'm lower than the low, man. I can hardly get off the dirt. What is he talking about? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. He is saying that, listen, and I think if we think about this, this is the fact. You see, when you got a lot of stuff, it's easier not to think about God or your need for God or heaven, isn't it? It kind of clouds things. But when you're poor, and I mean really poor, pretty soon you realize, you know what? There ain't nothing on this earth that lasts. I can't wait to get to those true, eternal riches in Christ. You know what I'm saying? See, that's the high position. God has put you in a position where you're more apt to be reminded of what you need to be thinking about anyway, heaven, and how awesome we're going to have it. Doesn't matter if you're poor. Doesn't matter if you're rich. Listen, if you keep focused on your future, not even that can drag you down. And that's what he's talking about. In fact, I, man, I just got to share this. I was pastoring in Northern California. And uh, up there, we'd have a lot of uh, migrant workers from Mexico come up and uh, work in the fields. And, uh, and some of the family members, the men would be working in the fields, but some of the family members would take other jobs in the communities while they're up there. And this one lady was working at a nursing home that I was visiting some of the uh, shut ins in the congregation. And I got to know her, you know, uh, pretty well. And she's probably in her young, uh, early 20s. And uh, we got to talking and rapping. And she, I kept inviting her. You need to come to church services. Come to church services and stuff like that. She's on oh, you, know, whatever. And, and she, she, she always felt guilty about it, right? But she wouldn't take action on it, unfortunately. But she'd said this. She says, you know, she said, Pastor, she said, there's a funny thing that happens um, when you move to America. You see, back in Mexico, you know, we were pretty spiritual. You know, we'd think about God a lot because we really didn't have much. Okay, we'd constantly be thinking about him, you know, and just enjoying him. And it was really great. She says, but the funny thing happens after you've been in America for a while. This is from her. She says, all you think about is money. And you stop thinking about God as much. Whoa. And this is what James said. Listen, God's got you in a high position if he allowed you to be in this position. Because you're one of those people who are more apt to constantly be thinking about heaven. And when you're constantly thinking about heaven, who cares what your state is? This is what Paul says, Colossians 3, verse 1 through 3. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Okay? For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with him in glory. In other words, that's the day when we get our inheritance. Do you guys have any idea what our inheritance as God's kids are? Heaven certainly, but ruling and reigning with him in the millennial kingdom. It's going to be awesome, right? And that's what he's saying. He says, listen, if he's got you in this state... Of being poor, truly poor, tapping us. You're hardly off the ground. You should be so stinking excited. In fact, he uses the word, take pride. In fact, the word that is used here too is, is glory. You need to glory. You need to, if you will, boast. Not a sinful boast, but boast. woo Yeah! God has chosen me to be in this kind of impoverished state. Thank you, God. Because now I am more apt to not think about money. Not think about materialism. Not think about this. Earth, my mind is, whew, who have I in heaven but you, God? I can't wait to get there. Now, isn't that a blessing? See, we don't look at poverty as a blessing. But James says, oh yeah? Don't, don't twist it around on me. Don't twist it around on God. If you're in that, he's the one who's in control. He can make you wealthy if he wanted to, which again, we'll get to next week. It's supposed to be for a blessing to other people. But if he has you in that poor state, you consider yourself blessed. You, he's giving you a high position. Whoa that for the rest of your time here on Earth, you should be more apt to constantly be thinking about heaven.? Okay, Listen to this, this is cool. That's where our joy lies. Okay, listen, uh, payday is coming. Yes, right now, Christian, we might be considered the filth and the scourge of this world. Yes, we may not have much in this life. Yes, we may be deprived. Yes, we may be topping us at the lowest level economically, but payday is coming. Payday's coming. Okay? Anybody get excited towards the first? Anybody get excited when you get your paycheck? (laughs) Especially the day before. Right? Jesus said, payday's coming, man. Don't you realize what is coming for you? That I'm giving you and and all that entails. He says this, yes, you may be hungry, but we have the bread of life. Yes, you may be thirsty, but we have the water of life. Yes, you may be cast aside, but you've been received by God. You may not have much of a home here, but you're going to have a glorious home in heaven. And you keep your mind on these things, things above, not on this earth, then not even your extreme true poverty can rob you of that joy. And again, what's the context? Rob you of being that great positive witness for Jesus wherever you go. Trials, no trials, it doesn't matter. For the born-again Christian, we really can have that constant joy. Open your Bibles to Revelation 21. I want to bring out two aspects of our inheritance of what we're headed Uh and uh, in heaven, and what's going to happen, okay? So we can focus on that, keep our mind on that. Uh, Revelation 21, let's take a little sneak peek here of what's going on. Revelation 21, if you find Revelation 21, what do you do? Stay there, there. as I grab my exciting cap. Moo, moo, yeah, I like that moo. Revelation 21, we're going to read just the first four verses, just kind of get an idea of what's going on, and if you'd like to have more time, you read the context of Even more what's going on. But this is where ultimately we are headed. Okay, you might be in extreme impoverished tapping us conditions here on earth, but listen to where we are going and what we are going to experience. Payday's coming. Now listen, payday's going to come for us some sooner than later. Unless the rapture happens before I finish this study. Wouldn't that be awesome? Anybody want to do some rapture practice? Let's get going because it's going to happen. All right. And uh, okay, but if not, then we're all going to die and go here. And some of us sooner... Uh, than others, okay, but let's take a look, Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, and we all know that brides wear burlap, because God's topping us, God, all the way through, man, if you've got a poor here, you're going to have a poor, th- are you kidding me, man, it's all decked out, to the max, this is the best of the best of the best, right, And that's why he uses that analogy. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men. He's going to live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the old order of things has passed away. I love this. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down because I don't know. Maybe God will, maybe he won't. No, these are trustworthy and true. In other words, you can bank on it, man. That's where we're headed. Can you imagine that existence? This is what he's saying. Listen, when you're technically a little bit more poor, you're more apt to think of this. And think of this. This is really where we're headed. Yes, praise God, we're saved from hell. Yes, praise God, uh, 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 we're saved from that eternal damnation. Uh, Praise God, we're no longer under God's wrath. But what? He didn't save us for this place. He saved us for where? Where? the new heaven, the new earth. It's an amazing existence and it's going to be that way forever and ever and ever and ever. You know, even if you were in a top knots condition and you scraped once in your life, you were able to somehow, some way scrape together. You saved your whole life to maybe make a vacation to the Bahamas or whatever. You just, you finally made it, but you got to come back. This lasts forever. This is where we're going, man. This is not pie in the sky. Let me break it down for you just even... More so, uh, how the Bible describes this place, other texts. It's the dwelling place of God, Psalm 2. It's the dwelling place of his angels. We get to exist with angels. No more of this invisible stuff, including God. Matthew 18, it's a heavenly country. Hebrews 11, it's a holy place. Isaiah 57, it's an eternal paradise. 1 Corinthians 12, the place where the streets are gold, the gates are pearls, the foundations are precious gems. Revelation 14, it's a place of eternal rest. Revelation 7, it's eternal joy. Uh, It's a place without wickedness, without darkness, without sin, without tears, without mourning, without pain, without death. It's a place of absolute purity. It's filled with the glory of God, and it's an everlasting place. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, flip it around. Here's what we, everything that we're going to experience in heaven, we don't experience here. I mean, every single one of these things. We don't get to coexist with angels visibly. Although I do believe, they, Hebrews says, uh, they do watch over those who inherit salvation. Right? Has anybody seen God physically? No? Okay, it's going to change. Is this a heavenly country? If you believe that, i got some swampland over here. We're going to talk after service. i got a great deal. I'm going to sell it to you. Uh, Is this paradise? Are the streets here made of gold? Are the gates made of pearls and precious gems? Is this a place where we have eternal rest and eternal joy? This place, if we live here, is full of wickedness, is full of darkness, is full of sin, tears, mourning, pain, death, impurity. It's not about the glory of God. And everything on this earth will not last. It's going to blow up. Heaven is the complete polar opposite of that. Yeah. Celebrate right now, all with you. That's awesome. Folks, it's, that's where we're headed. So you keep that in mind. Just even speaking about that right now, doesn't that get you excited? I mean, you guys, I wish I had a camera going this direction. Most of you guys, anyway. You got a smile on your face, and it's not coming off. And we just talked about just the one aspect of Heaven. So James is saying, listen, if God puts you in that high position to constantly think about this place, what a gift from God. Tapinah says. Isn't that wild? Absolutely amazing. But that's only half. Let me give you the other half of what we're going to get in eternity. We not only get a new place to exist like that. Anybody glad about this one? You get a new body. Much better body. Okay, listen to this. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, This is what the Scriptures say, uh, when, uh, mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, He's already given us quite a few descriptions in the Scripture of what heaven's going to be like. But then Paul says here, he says, Man, are, do you understand this? I mean, God's given you a sufficient knowledge to know about heaven, how to get to heaven through Jesus and only through Jesus and, and, and what it's going to be like uh, to a certain extent. But He hasn't told you everything. In fact, he's saying, listen, if you will, there's some things that are so stinking cool that you're going to experience forever, uh, you can't even imagine what they are. They're going to blow you away. Anybody got an imagination? Man, I do. I can imagine a lot. But God is saying, listen, I I, I outdo you. And I'm going to outdo you. This is going to be mind-blowing. Now, I've shared this before, but when you take a look at uh, 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 our bodies... At full maximum capabilities, just that existence, if that's what God chose to do, would blow us away. I've shared this before. This, a guy took a look scientifically, what would happen to our bodies if our, our senses right now were maxed out. Because right now they're limited. Here's what he says. He said that the electromagnetic spectrum contains all different uh, wavelengths. Like radio waves, microwaves, including a small piece in that spectrum called light. He said, now, your eyeballs can see the colors red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, that's it. He says, but the spectrum technically goes forever in both directions beyond that. And we just see this tiny little sliver right now. He says, suppose we get to heaven and God gives us new eyes that can see the entire spectrum. Just that. He said, that means there'll be brand new colors, trillions of them. Not the same shades, of our current colors, but brand new colors that we can't, even, we can't even conceive them. But we know scientifically that's possible if God just expanded our eyes to the full spectrum. He said, uh, apparently that's why heaven has to be so large. Uh, is for the women's closets. Colors, trillions. Anyway, we'll keep going. He says, but if you can imagine if we get new eyes, he said, you can see the whole spectrum. He says, listen, you're going to be able to see the sounds coming off the piano. Right now you can just hear them. He said, imagine seeing the sounds. He said, what if God gives us new ears and we could hear the whole spectrum? He says, you're going to be able to hear the colors or smell them. Yeah, it's blue. blue, Or taste them. Hmm, orange, that's one of my favorite. It even tastes like an orange. No, I don't know. Okay. Uh, have you ever wondered that? I mean, here a guy comes up and he's sweating bullets. He's going, man, I got this heavy-duty pressure, man. Everybody's giving me all the... I, I'm the one that has to label all this new fruit we keep coming across. All right, so this one, we'll call this one all right, apple. We'll call them an apple, all right? This one, we're going to do this one. Lime, lime. Okay, a lime. All right, what's this one? I think it was like at the end of the day and he looked at it orange, which is orange. You know where I'm going. It's orange. All right, I want to go home. Anyway, all right, so let's come. On, let's pray for my wife. That's just how my brain works, okay? He says, listen, we've only got five senses. He said, maybe there's more. But if God just took these five senses and expanded them to the max, we would spend forever walking around heaven. Wow, did you smell that? Look at that. Ooh, ah, 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 Can you imagine? Now listen, see, you can't see what I see. Virtually every single one of you, the rest of it, will pray for you. You got a big old smile on your face. Isn't that amazing? I'm telling you, that's the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of what we're going to experience forever purely as a gift from Jesus. We deserve to go the polar opposite, namely hell. So if he puts us in a situation where we're more apt in poverty to think about this, you're always going to have joy, right? And that's what he's saying. Listen, you may not have a home, you may not have a car, you may not have much money, you might be the scourge of society, but listen, Christian, take heart, take pride in your high position. Payday's coming. And God's put you in the state that you can actually, uh, truly uh, be uh, rejoicing on a constant basis. okay. But that's just a part of our body. Listen to this other part of our body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quick says, It's the same way for the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies which die and decay will be different when they're resurrected because they will never die. Anybody glad about that? There are natural human bodies now. That's what we got. But when they are raised, they're going to be spiritual bodies. Just as there's natural bodies, you can bank on it. There's going to be spiritual bodies. okay. And so quickly what our text says, Listen, out of necessity when we get to heaven, we're going to get... New bodies. And again, maybe God's going to expand all the things that we can't even imagine. That's cool. But our bodies are going to be radically different. It says here in the text there, they're going to be imperishable. Now that one word should blow you away. Right? You talk about putting a smile on your face. This means the new bodies that we get, and we're going to get, it's coming. Payday's coming. It's imperishable. It's never going to die. It'll never rot. It'll never decay. It'll never break down. It won't ever age. Isn't that incredible? Always at peak. There's no more, break it down. There's no more backaches, no more broken bones, no more disease, no more anti-aging creams, no more wrinkles, no more crinkles, no age spots, none of that stuff. It's all gone. No more, listen, when we wake up and go to the breakfast table and we hear snap, crackle, and pop and realize we're not eating Rice Krispies. That's your body making that noise, Bobby. You're catching on. Okay. (laughs) We'll never deal with that anymore. No more will you go to bed realizing you and your teeth don't sleep together anymore. No more are you going to wake up one morning looking like your driver's license picture. Okay, no more are you going to live a life where you look for your glasses for a half hour and you realize they were on your head the whole time. No more memory problems and you won't need glasses in the first place. That is where we are going. Our lives, our bodies are going to be imperishable. Listen, if we would, this is what I'm saying, James is saying. If we would get our brains locked on this. Okay, and here's my point. Listen, even if we're not a Tapinas Christian and you're listening to this study. Even if you're here today, you're not a Tapinas Christian. Listen, uh, wouldn't it still, uh, d- does, it, does it have to get to the point where God's got to strip you to that poverty level before you'll do this? How about enjoy it now? How about put it into place now? Do you have to wait till that happens? You can experience the same benefits if you just keep your mind on things above. Now, again, poverty has a way of helping you to do that. But why do we have to wait for that? If we would, we'd have a much better time here on earth before we get to heaven. Okay, like this guy learned. Listen to this. One day there was this 85-year-old couple and they'd been married for 60 years. And suddenly they both died in a car crash, Christians, and... And they had been in good health for about the last ten years of their life, mainly due to their interest in health foods and exercise, of course. Well, when they reached the pearly gates, Saint Peter took them to their mansion, and uh, which was decked out beautiful kitchen, man, master bath suite, jacuzzi, the whole nine yards. And they oohed and they awed. But the old man asked Peter, he says, "Um," he said, "How much is all this going to cost?" And and Peter said, "It's free. This is heaven." So next they go out to the back there and they survey the championship golf course. The home was backed up to and. They learned they would have golfing privileges every single day, each day of the week. And, and listen, each day of the week, the course would change to a new one representing one of the great golf courses back on earth. And so the old man, he asks, he says, well, what are the green fees? And Peter said, this is heaven. You, you, you play for free. Well, next they go to the clubhouse and they see this lavish buffet, uh, lunch, and it's got all the cuisines around the whole world laid out right before them. And so the old man says, he says, well, h- how much to eat? Well, by this time, Peter's getting a little bit exasperated. He says, listen, don't you get it? This is heaven, man. It's free. And so the old man, he asked timidly, he says, well, where's all the low-fat tables and the low-cholesterol tables? And so Peter said, listen, hello. This is the best part. You, You can eat as much as you'd like, whatever you'd like, and you never get fat, and you never get sick. This is heaven. Well, with this man, listen, Mary, the old man, he went into a fit of anger. He threw down his hat. He's stomping on it. He's shrieking wildly. And so Peter and his wife are both trying to calm him down. And they're asking him, what is wrong? And the old man looked at his wife and he pointed his finger and he says, listen, this is your fault. If it weren't for your stupid prunes and bran muffins, I could have been here 10 years ago. Isn't that neat? If only we realized how awesome heaven is going to be. It's like sometimes we don't want to get there. Right? We forget that. And I think that the truism, if you will, in that joke, is this is what James is saying. You shouldn't try your best to run away from heaven. And sometimes we do that by never even thinking about it. We're so consumed with this earth. We're so consumed with money. We're so consumed with what we have or don't have or wish we'd have and we're not content. And we forget, do you have any idea what's coming? And don't use your circumstances as a cop-out as to why you can't still have that constant joy and be a constant witness. If you really look at it, listen, the brother in humble circumstances, you ought to take pride in your high position. You ought to thank God, thank you Jesus, for keeping me in such a state That I am not tempted to stop thinking about where I'm going and where true eternal riches lie. That will keep the smile on your face and that will keep you being a positive witness for Jesus. Amen? Lord willing, next week we're going to get to the second dichotomy and that is the rich person. And believe it or not, folks, uh, being rich is not a source of joy. Don't believe me? Just ask anybody, all those rich and famous people that we like to watch on TV, how are their lives doing? he already knows this. We don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments uh, the ninth one says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says, you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us that uh, we all have sin and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy